Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Today we will receive an update on what's occurring within the Beltway and beyond. So joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager from the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you for joining our listeners here on a Thursday and looking forward to catching up. Great to be back with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, there's plenty to catch up on. So very timely. Absolutely. I know you last joined us, Shane, about a week ago, and the focus continues to be on negotiations surrounding the debt ceiling. So thinking back to this week, we did hear some reports that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as well as President Joe Biden, expressed some cautious optimism, so to speak, that a bipartisan deal can be reached. Though here we are recording on Thursday, May 18th, and no deal in place yet. So where did negotiations stand as of Thursday? Thursday afternoon. Yeah, there was a second meeting at the White House um, just two days ago on Tuesday. And, you know, that was a good meeting, not great by any means. And the real kind of takeaway was it was positive. We're still heading in the right direction. And that the um, chief negotiators on the staff level were going to meet more frequently, actually several times a day. And, you know, I think uh, on the uh, the White House side, they kind of actually narrowed down the set of people negotiating. I think they had too many, you know, cooks in the kitchen, we'll say. So they brought that down. And then Speaker uh, McCarthy kind of appointed his top deputy. And so you have a more focused negotiation going on. And I think you're starting to see some commonalities form of where things are heading. It's really on kind of four areas. First, the low-hanging fruit, which is um, um, peeling back some of those unspent COVID uh, monies, which is actually tens of billions. Uh, second would be some kind of um, energy permitting reform. And there's, you know, some bipartisan support for this. I think there you lose support on, you know, uh, maybe the very left flank. Um, and also you may lose some of the right flank here when, you know, uh, some of those lawmakers feel the reforms don't go far enough. But I think there's there's a healthy amount of support for something to be included in the deal there. And then the last two parts are kind of the trickier parts, but I think, you know, uh, will some way be in um, a final negotiated package versus the budgetary cap, cap which is to agree that they're going to cap spending to a certain uh, percentage of increase over the past uh, the previous year of spending. You know, Republicans were hoping to cap uh, spending at 1% for the next 10 years. Uh, That is too stringent for Democrats. I think you'll see uh, them, you know, agree to some level, but nothing near 1%. And also, I don't expect them to agree to, you know, 10 years. I think it will be a shorter time period. But, you know, this is is one that remains pretty fluid. The last piece is the work requirements for, you know, those on Medicaid um, work. Uh, I'm sorry, food benefits, et cetera. So, you know, uh, Republicans are really digging in their heels and want something here. You're seeing um, most Democrats say, no, no way, we're totally against this. Uh, but then you're seeing some other Democrats who are kind of, you know, open to the idea. So, you know, this, I think, is um, going to be the most interesting to me of what the final outcome is here is are they able to actually include any work requirements 
uh, or do the Democrats, you know, uh, completely oppose it and the package is devoid of that? I think I'd be concerned about that scenario from the perspective that, you know, too many Republicans may walk away from the table and that could really uh, put a debt deal in peril. So, you know, this remains fluid. I, I think the latest that we've seen uh, as of this afternoon is that, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi, uh, excuse me, Speaker McCarthy expressed, expressed optimism that by, you know, about a week from now, the House will be voting on a package. And uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer has already warned his members um, that they will be required to come back to D.C. and vote on the package within 24 hours or so of of such uh, a House passage. Because keep in mind that um, uh, the Senate is supposed to be out of session next week, so senators are going to go home to their states. So I think it's also positive uh, that uh, that Senate Majority Leader Schumer recognizes this is this is starting to take shape. And, you know, there's a good chance they'll be required to act quickly to, to meet that potential uh, deadline of June 1st. It's encouraging to hear that dialogue is ongoing, which is always a positive. And as you pointed out, Shane, some encouraging sentiment as well voiced by congressional leadership. In parallel to negotiations, I know President Biden, he just embarked on this was a planned trip to Asia, which I believe was cut short as negotiations persist. Though, can you speak a bit, Shane, to what's on the agenda for the president during this trip? What stops he'll be making along the way? That's right. This was a uh, planned uh, visit uh, to start with the G7 meetings in Japan. But then while, you know, President Biden was overseas in that region, um, he was also scheduled to go to Australia and Papua New Guinea. Uh, the Australian Papua New Guinea uh, pieces of the trip have been, you know, shelved for now. Um, and the focus will be on the G7 and then President Biden coming back uh, to the U.S. to hopefully at that point, you know, maybe finish up uh, debt deal negotiations. Um, so the, the G7 piece, uh, as I said, is in Japan. And that's notable because in the G7, the only you know, Asian country really is, is Japan that, and so being there um, really puts an emphasis on China. You know, to be in China's backyard um, with the G7 really means something. So I, I think, you know, uh, we can definitely assume that China is going to be a uh, main topic of discussion. You know, um, how do these uh, uh, seven nations, you know, uh, kind of stand together and with uh, kind of uh, to be more forceful with China and try and, you know, uh, discuss every issues from, you know, uh, humanitarian issues to, you know, um, engaging in trade practices with China. So there's a lot to cover there. And I think it's quite meaningful that they're doing this meeting in Japan. Uh, secondly, you know, uh, obviously, Russia, Ukraine is going to be a hot topic. You know, if you look at the countries in the G7, these are some of the um, strongest supporters of Ukraine, you know, um, whether it be with military assistance or coordinating of sanctions against Russia. So I think that will continue to be a focal piece, especially as, you know, here we are in May and you're seeing um, Russia fire uh, hypersonic rockets at Kyiv. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about this. Uh, counteroffensive from 
uh, Ukraine to really try and push back on Russia. So there, there's a lot going on there, and I think that will be a, a focal point. Um, but a lot to discuss uh, in Japan. And then, of course, you know, President Biden trying to get back here to uh, hopefully, in his mind, wrap up uh, debt negotiations. Well, we'll definitely follow up and provide our listeners with some takeaways from this notable meeting, the G7. So thank you, Shane, for providing some takeaways there as far as President Biden's agenda and what we can expect to see. So maybe before we wrap up, one more topic we can hit on, only because artificial intelligence AI has been receiving a lot of buzz recently. So this is coming back stateside, actually, up on Capitol Hill. Uh, Interesting testimony delivered by OpenAI. Chief Executive Officer and ChatGPT creator Sam Altman. Can you speak a bit, Shane, to the purpose of the testimony and any notable takeaways to share? Yeah, no, this is a great question because, you know, to your point, uh, lawmakers, you know, when they're not consumed by the death deal right now, they are um, fascinated and, you know, optimistic and cautious about AI and the potential it has, you know, for uh, our society, but also the, the potential perils it has. So uh, a lot of lawmakers are just, you know, um, really caught up in this and trying to figure out, you know, what are the next steps from their perspective of, a, you know, how do we move about when AI, to some degree, it's here, you can't, um, you know, wish it away. Um, and if you go too far to regulate it, you know, the reality is, is that other countries aren't going to regulate it. And, you know, we could stand to um, uh, be behind the eight ball, you know, and where we have the potential to lead. Um, so I think what you're seeing is uh, lawmakers look at this, of, you know, how do you regulate it? And that's what uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of, of OpenAI, was there to talk about uh, to the Senate panel was, you know, to try and lay out some parameters of, you know, what kinds of regulation should we start with? I think the reality is, is that, you know, senators and representatives haven't fully wrapped their arms around AI, and there is no consensus about how to regulate it at this point. So I think you're going to hear um, lawmakers talk about regulating it, but they're probably not going to do much at this moment. I think more regulation may happen from uh, the administration and um, uh, different uh, departments and agencies. And, and you're seeing that to some degree, you know, foment um, with, um, you know, the White House kind of forming this uh, uh, panel. Um, it's convened a top technology CEO uh, uh, roundtable to try and start talking about this. But, you know, I, a lot more to come here. This is still so new to a lot of these players. Um, so this is just kind of that opening round, we'll say. And uh, I think I think you and I will probably be talking about AI and and where Washington D.C. is going in with respect to AI for for a long time now. Definitely. I suspect so, as this is a technology that we will have to learn to live with, though. Interesting to hear about some initial takeaways and thoughts from this testimony from OpenAI CEO. Though, Shane, thank you for joining us, as always, keeping our listeners up to date on a range of topics, in particular the debt ceiling. I know I mentioned this last week, though your team at the UBS-US Office of Public Policy is keeping our listeners, our clients, informed on a weekly basis as negotiations 
negotiations persist. So we will continue to do so, keep our listeners informed in future conversations, and do look forward to catching up with you again next week, Shane. Thank you again. Thank you, Dan. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. For our listeners and clients, you can now reference the latest Washington Weekly publication available up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.